just a reflection of the sound of the airplane. Notice the sound of silence uh, contains the sound of the airplane. This is where it's pointing something out just on the level of sound. So this, this is, you know, to, that this is a way of, sound of silence to me is this incredible receptivity. that allows everything to be what it is. So sound of an airplane, we're on the flight path to Luton Airport. <laughs> then that allows an airplane, the sound of an airplane to be what it is. And we might not like the sound of the airplane. So we create a problem about it. I don't want that sound of an airplane annoys me, or I don't want noisy, unwanted noises around me when I'm meditating, or things like this. This is the problem we create. So if you get caught in, say, I'm just, this is an example, you know, just, if you get caught in your own personal preferences, then it becomes suffering, and, and yet I don't want that sound, it, it, I don't like it, I, it, it disrupts my samadhi or something like this, or resting in the sound of silence in the sound of the airplane is what it is, there's no need to be no comment, you know, just maybe a reminder it's the way it is rather than... <clears throat> trying to, you know, your own personal feelings about liking or disliking it. Now this, this reflecting in this way, you know, what position do you want to take on life? Always a personal reaction one, you know, of picking, choosing, manipulating, controlling, reacting, which is, for my experience from my personality. I'm conditioned in a certain way. I have certain emotional habits, tendencies. So I can imagine a perfect monastery where there's no airplane, where there, you know, you're trying to find the perfect place to build your monastery on this planet where there's no annoying sounds whatsoever. There's no airplanes, no traffic noises, no noisy neighbors, no noisy animals. We don't want, you know, I remember going to a monastery where they had peacocks, and these peacocks were the noisiest creatures I'd ever heard. <laughs> Where there's no mosquitoes, no flies, no worms. That's the ideal in a monastery created out of getting rid of everything you don't like and only allowing what, what you particularly approve and accept as suitable and allowable. 
Now that can only be an ideal. So my image of the worm and the apple, I realized that, that uh, you know, some, my monastic life, I was trying to make myself into a perfect apple. You know, present myself as an apple that didn't have any worms in it. <laughs> playing the role, isn't it, of presenting oneself. Because, you know, you know, practically speaking, you go to the marketplace and you're looking at the apples and the ones with worm holes in them, you don't buy. The acceptable apples are the ones without. And the same, I've got to make myself wormless, and otherwise I won't be acceptable. <clears throat> so that's from the personal conditioning, isn't it? The, the cultural conditioning, the personal conditioning. Uh, that it tends to see things from ideas and in trying to make oneself perfect in some kind of way, you know, thinking by suppressing, getting rid of the worms, then you, you will be a totally acceptable, beautiful, successful human being. So then this mindfulness is worms belong as much as the apple. So I mean it's not a matter of it's not really a problem unless you particularly want to make it into one. But then to present myself as just worms is not right either, is it? Some people, that being honest means you just tell all about all the worms you have and and uh, the the beautiful shape you are is totally dismissed because you're you're just announcing how 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 you're filled with worms. That's not honest either. <clears throat> Uh, this this uh, sound of silence allows worms, apples, airplanes. And it enhances. You know, like it, if you, it, one tends to get the idea that if you go into the sound of silence you'll just kind of disappear into a void, a vortex of oblivion maybe. <laughs> like the image jumping into the abyss or you just disappear into a black hole and it's rather frightening. Or in one of those Chinese or Japanese Zen stories they have, you know, jumping off into the abyss and instead of disappearing into a black hole, uh, it was everything. So the, the personality, you know, is very, it's conditioned, that's, it's, it's a program. It has no, it, you know, it doesn't have any 
something more to it than that. What we call Sakaya Ditti. So our particular, our life force then manifests in, through the, uh, these personal habits and, and so it can, you know, change accordingly to praise and blame, success and failure, good fortune, bad fortune. So on a personal level, we are very dependent on conditions, supporting, making me feel good or what not. Feeling threatened by things that, that that make me feel frightened and scared. So that's the personal conditioning, which is not to be held in contempt, but to be recognized, understood for what it is, its limitation, not, no longer bind ourselves to that limitation. Because in the Unconditioned, unlimited. So like even now, you know, generally personality still operates. Emotional habits arise. According to conditions. And then, and that, and this is, and then they cease. But this personality then is is no longer something that I believe in or commit myself to, my own personal habits and feelings. Not, not what I seek to promote or hold to or limit myself with. Because investigating, you see, you see what it is. You know, just by this awareness around its it's arising and ceasing. You, you begin to notice that how dependent uh, these these conditions are on other conditions. You know, like like wanting a community always to be, look be in harmony because that makes me feel good, or uh, that personally, when everything is going well. On a personal level, you know, everything's going well and everything's, everybody, you know, seems to be fully committed and practicing and enjoying their life here at Amravati and that makes me feel good, personally. <laughs> and then, uh, then there's the, the worms start appearing and, ooh, Because uh, my personality doesn't, you know, these worms as a threat, and then 
and the beautiful apple as what I want as a kind of permanent, you know, what I what makes me feel good. <clears throat> so just noting this, that which is aware of it, I keep keep questioning, you know, what is aware? That which is aware, which knows that feeling good is like this, or feeling threatened, or feeling bad is like this. And so that's where it starts, you can't figure it out intellectually. This is an intuitive, where your intuition is conditio sine qua non of this realization. Also, you reflect on sound of silence as a, as an ocean of love. Put it in a context of that, of unconditioned love. Because it totally is receptive to everything. Doesn't prefer, doesn't pick or choose. Everything's equal in this sea of love. Everything is accepted Totally, even the the worm, the most nasty worm, well, the most gorgeous apple. <clears throat> so when we when we reflect on the experience of unconditioned love, rather than just seen as some abstract idea, you know, some potential that we certainly we find inspiring but we don't really know what it is in terms of direct knowledge. You know, exploring, what is it now? And so then, uh, just as I said now, then found the silence very strong and the birds are waking up. <laughs> so, you know, it's how this vibration, cosmic vibration, how sounds, how it, it, it nurtures. <clears throat> it's not an annihilating sound. It's not a, not like a sound that just obliterates everything. <clears throat> Whereas sometimes you hear sounds that just obliterate everything else. Cacophonous, loud, harsh things that obliterate every other sound. But, or is it a sound? I'm just using this as a convenient way of talking about it. But the, uh, 
it's behind every sound. It, it enhances. It upholds. It allows. The creative process takes place in this. In the creation is, is the potential from this empty stillness, this silence. There's a emptiness that is, that has, that potential for everything. There's not an emptiness that annihilates, you know, a void, a vacuum of nothingness, dead, lifeless, meaningless, nothing. Or is it a nothing that is the potential for everything? These are like questioning, using words, concepts, too, just explore this in terms of your own direct knowledge, take a direct experience. This is trusting yourself to to explore it. You've got a right to do it. (laughs) Don't, Don't limit yourself endlessly to views you have about yourself in practice. And we learn from the way it is for each one of us. What I'm speaking from is my own kind of way of exploring. I can share that with you. It is not saying, not requesting that you do it in the same way. But it's just a, a sharing of my own experience in regards to this. Because this is... This sense of trusting in this awareness. You know, when I say trust yourself, I don't mean trust what your ego and your jackals say and your, all the inner voices and that that rant on, go on, but trust in the awareness behind all that. That, that is the background for all the other stuff. Because the, the sound of silence doesn't make a problem about the, the other stuff. The, the jackals, the inner tyrants, the inner whispers, the urges, the greed, hatred, and delusion, whatever, however they manifest, or whatever. There's no, there's no criticism of any of it. It allows. That's like unconditioned love. The sound of the airplane, sound of the birds. I've known monks who get so hung up on silence that they even start getting angry when the birds wake up in the morning. They want dead silence, you know, kind of deadening, kind of obliterating silence. Silence of, of the battlefield that where everything is, everybody's been slaughtered.
So there's a way of you know, using ocean of love or consciousness. These these concepts, you know. This is not making dogmatic statements about this, but, but uh, just to have the you know the the interest to explore it, you know. What is unconditioned love right now? You know, is it something you don't have? It, it's it, it, you got got to get to sitting on a zafu for hours on end and getting rid of your defilements, becoming an arahant, and then suddenly it appears. Or is it and that? Or is it with us all the time? It's unconditioned. It doesn't depend on being an arahant or being. You know, how many hours we sit on a zafu and on all like that. It has nothing to do with that. It doesn't have, it's not against that. It's not an obstruction or any problem, but it, it supports everything that we do. So then re- referring to this, Sound of silence. There's a gentle a sense of of uh, rest, of ease. Like the other other day, I was after the meal. I I was uh, have these lovely high tech toothpicks. Uh, and in Thailand, where we had to make our own tooth wood, you know. We, it's a kind of tudong, monastic tudong tradition where you, you make your own toothpicks, uh, tooth woods, and out of this particular kind of vine or whatever it is in, in, grows in Thailand. And then you refine the point down, you bash the end on one so they get this kind of brush-like effect, pound it down and so the, the, the wood kind of splits into a brush-like thing, and then you then you carve the tooth wood to a fine point. And uh, we used to take great pride in who could make the best tooth woods. But now, due to modern technology, you can just buy the very best at Sainsbury's. <laughs> Much easier, and they're better than the tooth wood, actually. Uh, these plastic toothpicks. And then my mind was kind of zooming about. And suddenly, uh, just sitting in my koozie listening to, suddenly the sound of silence, ah. And then each kind of movement, putting, of cleaning my, the interstices of my teeth with these blue plastic toothpicks, suddenly, it was so peaceful just to be with the simple act of picking my teeth. This stop from racing in the, with the mind to just being with some ordinary, banal, everyday a- action. It doesn't seem worth paying attention to it. You just do it because you're supposed to. You, you don't, you don't want to have 
rotting teeth or bad breath or anything like that. So you try to do this as a duty. No, it's like, like just uh, enjoyment of being in, in, in the midst of, of performing a simple, ordinary act of cleaning the teeth. Something like that is where they just stop in midair from this, this word, uh, from this whirling of thought and movement of getting this done to go on to, to the next thing. So like the sound of silence enhances cleaning cleaning my teeth. It isn't saying, you know, you should clean your teeth like one of these kind of motherly types. Clean your teeth, brush your teeth. <laughs> Oral hygiene is is uh, is necessary. We can't afford all those those expensive dental bills if you don't take care of your teeth. Blah blah blah. You go into a, a kind of nagging mode. Sound of silence doesn't have any of that. Nor is it perfunctory. You're just doing it because you know it's the thing you're used to doing and and uh, become your habit, and you just do it to get get it over with. So. It, you know, it enhances the simple movements of the here and now. <clears throat> Learning to, to slow down reading. You know, you know, when you've been in these graduate school systems where you have to read so many books a week, you know, when this was years ago, when I was young, you, know, you just learned to speed read. So you, you just race through you have to race through so many books, gather so much information, that the joy of reading almost disappeared. Because it, once you kind of get into this racing mode, it's hard to enjoy reading again. Because every time you look at something, you kind of race through it. <clears throat> so then, slowing down, savoring words, you know, not to read in order to, to finish the book, like, like I did in graduate school, but to, and to get all the information necessary to pass the exam, but just for the pleasure of words, reading, thinking, uh, the sound of silence behind that too. It enhances thinking, reading, eating, sleeping, 
I, when I when I go to bed at night, I I use that as my lie on my side and and you and connect with the sound of silence. So this a this is a like a training, you know, way of training oneself, but not putting training into some, you know, kind of perception of duty and responsibility and not of making it into something you should be doing, but but the learning to uh, an attitude of relaxing, enjoying pure presence, being. Without demanding, you know, excite, romance, adventure, excitement, and and endless distractions, and and important issues, and on and on like that, where where then the the bawa dhanha, vipava dhanha arise, like the three dhanhas take us over. So we just propelled into into doing things that we don't even want to do half the time, you know, just compulsive, obsessive behavioral pattern. <clears throat> so then uh, thinking of the sabbatical. And that's right. That word that that's what we use for this. You know, monk takes a year off, monk and I've never dared ask for a sabbatical. <clears throat> Before. So then, uh, what are you going to do on your sabbatical? <laughs> you know, start planning. Possibilities, anything, uh, you know, options, endless options, opportunities. But mainly, the sabbatical for me is trusting more and more in stillness. So that that's the background, that's the receptacle for everything that happens. And if I just get caught up in the idea of a sabbatical and make all kinds of plans, I, I tend to get, get caught up into the old habits of, you know, trying to get as much out of a year off as I can. And <laughs> I've got to do something with it. I've got to make the most of this. And, uh, easy to go into that and feel that you know you've got to fulfill all your wishes or desires in order to you know you've got this permission from the Sangha to just be free from duties and that means I'm gonna, I want to do this, I've got this to do, I want to go that place and do that and then this oh. no, no way <clears throat> because it, the important thing to me is in the stillness of, of the present rather than 
than in the conditions that arise in it. Hmm. That's that's what I value, where I find no suffering. Where I can recognize no suffering is like this. And where, you know, then I have that perspective that right now, no suffering is like this. So this is, you know, just noting, noting, making it fully, you know, making it a kind of informing this panya to inform. It's like this. No suffering in this realm with the human body human karma, the way it is, the way I am. If I trust that even if I'm an emotional basket case, begin to trust more in the awareness than, than, than being totally overwhelmed by the emotion. So that's where that's even the even if you see me kind of crying, weeping and wailing, that's the emotional karma. But that which embraces all that is that allows that to be what it is. You can't see that. You can't you know, you can only be that. So our emotions aren't denied, you know, it's not a matter of of uh, suppressing emotions or even changing them, you know, trying to get rid of childish emotional habits or this way we talk sometimes of trying to get rid of bad habits, childish habits, childish emotions, you know, we've got to do something to, you know, to get come to terms with it and try to get rid of them or at least grow up a bit more. I should grow up a bit more. Got to learn to be more mature, more responsible, not be so selfish, so egotistical. And then this stillness embraces all that, even the even these nagging tyrants. You should grow up and you should be <laughs> or the the kind of ones that you know we've got to you know <clears throat> develop this in order to become something, but embracing sound of silence allows immaturity to be what it is, no problem. If you're 68 years old, then you, you, you're feeling 
like a lost little boy. It allows that, embraces it, doesn't, doesn't say, oh, you shouldn't feel like that. At your age, you should be, you know, beyond that by now. And that's the nagging, the tyrant, isn't it? The voice that goes on endlessly saying, <clears throat> what the way it is is, I don't like the way it is. You shouldn't, it shouldn't be like this. You shouldn't be like this. You shouldn't feel like this. <clears throat> but yet even the sound of silence embraces the nag. Nag also belongs. The tyrant, the jackal, you know. If that's what's happening, then that belongs also. So it's not taking sides it's in just suppressing the nag, nagging uh, jackals and and trying to to get in touch with your inner child, but it's allowing, isn't it? Allowing, accepting, receiving that that uh, is possible within this ocean of love. Consciousness, using this as a not 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 trying to equate sound of silence with consciousness, but it, it it's like this gate or this opening we have in the present, isn't it? It's a gate to the deathless. It's uh it's this point, this still point that includes. And this is a way of referring to it and describing it with these words, but that's not so important as, don't, don't give so much value to the words as the reality of it. The reality of this as a, like consciousness, <clears throat> as this, inf you know, it's infinite. Where the modern concept, Western concepts around consciousness are very limited to the kind of brain function. Though, you know, we think of consciousness as uh, very much in the Western, Western psychology and science it limits it always to kind of a, a brain, our brain. So it, you know, it's, uh, we, we, so that's a very materialistic way of looking at it, you know. It is the brain that is, that allows that is uh, the experience of consciousness. So then it's a kind of, it's very limited to, if you're up, in the, up in your skull, consciousness is, is a lump of scrambled eggs up in your skull. <laughs> <laughs> 
and so that uh, this that perception, you know, is very limited, isn't it? But in the measurables, you know, the meditation with jhanas, it's infinite nothingness, infinite space, infinite consciousness, neither perception nor non-perception. So there's infinity. Is now. You know, so then this word tends to remain an abstract concept, you know, infinity. Uh, uh, because we, we, you know, when you try to, to think about it, you know, you, you, your thinking is so limited. You can't, you know, it just means that no boundaries or endless or, and then you, you can't imagine that. You know, you get some kind of vague thing of that seems so fuzzy and so, uh, you know, trying to imagine infinity that you, you don't give it much attention because it, you know, the, the intellect can't, uh, the intellect is limited to the finite. The intellect, the thinking process is finite. It has, it can only kind of make point and describe, but it can't, it's not, it can't be infinite. The finite nature is limited to being finite. So if you, if you identify with everything that's finite, which we tend to do, the personality is very finite, isn't it? Limited. <clears throat> so then, we uh, we very much become our personalities all the time, limit and bind ourselves to habits. As you get older, you habits become the, the ruts of habit become deeper. And as you get older, <laughs> if you don't if you don't have any way out of that, then you you kind of just sink into digging the ruts. Deeper and deeper. So infinity. Right now, what is it? In experience now. Well, for me, I have to give up thinking about it. Stop that. Found the silence. And then by taking that concept of infinity and applying it to this, you know, is this infinity? Not trying to convince myself it is, but question, a sense of questioning and and, and awakened attention to it. And in terms of this moment, it, it's in, it's, it seems infinite. Timeless. There's all these apparent here and now, timeless, encouraging investigation leading onwards to be experienced individually by the wise. So this is this is what I can know whether you know uh, this is scientifically provable or you know the the experts, the authorities, the the great minds, the great intellects, the 
think I'm just a deluded screwball or something, or, you know, maybe I'm deluding myself. Certainly willing to, to question. I'm not trying to convince myself I'm right, but learning to trust in the sense behind the sense. This intuition. Because it's all there is, all I can find, that I can trust. If you say, well, you've got to trust in God or Buddha or something like that, then I say, what is that right now? In terms of, what is God right now? And they say, Buddhists don't believe in God. Then we're going back into the what Buddhists believe in, what Christians believe in, back into the the limit, the finite conventions of religion, and that so you you can quarrel about that. I'm not interested in proving there is or isn't God, or that the Christians got it wrong, we've got it right, or whatever. That doesn't interest me in the least. Who's right and who's wrong, but. Uh, having this opportunity of realizing for oneself. You know, budget tongue way teed up all we knew here. So even, even the word God is not a problem, you know. And if I define God according to the kind of perception that I had when I was a Christian, I had a child's view of God. You know, Santa Claus type God. Old man in the sky, white beard, old man in the sky, looked slightly like Bart Grzolski. So that was a, you know, that, that's not the God of the present. <laughs> Maybe it is. <laughs> or is God and now these are these are like uh, this internalizing. It's, what is it right now? This the now is all there ever is here and now. Enlightenment is here and now. Nibbana is here and now. Suffering, if there's suffering, is it always here and now, or is it arising, ceasing? So this this kind of inquiry and exploration. So you, and this is where you have to trust the insights that come through this. You don't need verification from the experts. This is a, you've got to trust in 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 a directness, rather than in, you know, am I doing this right, Arjun? Somebody, <laughs> no, I do. 
You only feel you can trust it if I approve, you know. You've got to get the approval. But this is a, this is as if the trust, even if everybody disapproves. But it's not stubbornness. I'm not being stubborn. But you, you get to a point where you know this is all there is to trust. Because that's the way it is. You get to the center, the actus mundi, to the still point. And from that still point, then it includes. So it's not a shutdown. It's not going into oblivion, into a black hole. But it's getting to the point that includes where everything that you think or feel Habits, good or bad, foolish or wise, are received. You know, there's, there's, everything belongs. The worm and the apple. So in this, this, this way of reflecting brings you, you know, the, you know, the, the thinking mind will start doubting it. Tremendously doubted it. I start thinking about it. <laughs> yeah. Because then the thinking, I've got certain, like, buttons that get pushed where I get into old habits. They're getting intimidated. So it gets into questions, is the way of enlightenment gradual or instant? And then get into the wanting to quibble about this. And I can explain it very sensibly. You know, I've got a good enough mind where I can justify and explain all these things quite reasonably. But I'm tired of that too. I don't want to go care about, about figuring it all out and justifying anything, but trusting in that which is trustworthy. Now this, uh, until you really trust it, then you keep, try, you know, keep reminding yourself. It's through uh, this reminding, relaxing into the present, opening. And opening, even if you physically you're, you're all stiff and tense, allow that, that belongs also, to be uh, in pain, <clears throat> Tensions in your back, feeling uptight, restricted, contracted, suffocated. It all belongs. Where you start, you know, we get caught into wanting to get rid of all that. In order to really be here and now, we've got to really relax and open. That's the ideal. And that's true. But then this openness includes even <clears throat> the the tensions, the 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 fears, the anxiety, the whatever is is happening, way physically or mentally, emotionally, it embraces it all. It all belongs. <clears throat> so then. And this means 
Oh, you mean I don't have to do this in order to get that? I have to deal with my physical problems before I get into the spiritual life? Or do I have to develop the Hatha Yoga postures and get chakras moving in, in, in order to become <laughs> all the descriptions of uh, that you read in books, you know, there's endless kind of of uh, things that you should do in order to get the result that's necessary for being a truly enlightened, fulfilled human being. But then if you hold to the view, I don't have to do anything, just sit and relax, just around the side. That's another viewpoint you can hold to. I'm not asking you to grasp that as a viewpoint. You know, but it's an encouragement toward, toward trusting. That it's all about here and now, that the unconditioned or the ocean of love or the, the, uh, consciousness non-suffering, God, Buddha, now. Rather than seeing these through the, through the thinking mind where it's divisive, the think, thought divides. Recognize that. When you're attached to thinking, you're always dividing everything up. You can't have two thoughts at the same moment. And it's obvious. One thought comes before the other. <laughs> so, uh, so that's the way it is. But the awareness embraces both, doesn't it? It's timeless. It embraces So that the thinking process is, is enhanced, isn't it? It's, it's allowed. Thinking is allowed. But we're no longer bound to that limitation of thinking. You know, we're not binding ourselves to reason and logic, ideas, ideals. That we, you know, that we do if we, if we if we don't have this this sense of presence No, people keep giving me little bits of uh, quotes from around town of silence. Uh, yesterday, uh, Venerable Bodhinando came with some interesting ones. Very diligent, uh, Bodhinando is scouring the stutas and so forth, finding quite quite good uh, quotes from Sutta Nipata and. That, or uh, one on this man that had a had a uh, clot, blood clot in his brain, 
and the reference to this sound of silence and prayer as a way that actually, you know, it looked like it was a kind of terminal situation where actually the, the, the blood clot dissolved. I mean, you can make some interesting cases for using this sound of silence, you know, Deepak Chopra talks about curing terminal cancer. So even if you've got very selfish reasons for <laughs> but anyway, it, it's, uh, you know, I find that it, it does, since, since I've been using that as a means for my meditation, you know, then it's changed the whole, whole attitude from achieving, attaining, controlling, getting rid of, uh, to relaxing, allowing, learning. A confidence that comes through that I have through using it is I'm clear I'm very clear about the definitions between self and non-self and it's not theoretical it's very practical non-self and self as, as experienced right now it's very clear about that or suffering and non-suffering these are very clear to me what the path and not the path, very clear. Attachment, non-attachment. <clears throat> so by, by using it, then it becomes very, you know, you, uh, these, these ideas of viraga, niroda, nibbana, uh, all they, that you read in the Pali, and then they they become you know when I first started these were so kind of abstract you know Nibbana was the what's that <laughs> you know so Nibbana Nirvana is used all the time for you know the best isn't it in modern advertising and modern ways of talking it it means the very best it's heaven. But in the terms of the Pali Canon, and uh, in terms of the way it was used uh, with Lumpur Cha, not about the best, not trying to be the best or get the best. The best applies to the conditioned realm, doesn't it? That's the you get best. The word good, better, best applies to conditions. When it comes to Nibbana, it's not, you let go of that. Not the best. You let go of thought. So everything can be pretty miserable in the present. Far from being the best. But still the reality of Nibbana. 
and say it's what. So if you're sick and uh, emotionally upset and nobody loves me, everybody hates me, really, then allowing that in this letting go into the silence, the stillness, allowing The conditions far from the best, but the reality is non-suffering. And this is, this you have to realize for yourself. Uh, recognize that this realm here is a, it's a, it's a dukkha realm. Mean that, that it's a, you know, it's a, a relentless experience of Constant impression, attack, everything impinging on this form, in this vulnerable, sensitive form for a lifetime. And that's not a put down of it or a diminishing of the beauty or pleasures and that of, of this realm, but it's putting it in, in a context of what it is as experience. You know, even pleasure, and happiness are still impinging. You know, they depend on things being, conditions allowing those conditions to arise. But then Nibbana doesn't depend on any condition. It embraces all conditions. It's not an, an annihilation of conditions. Goodbye, cruel world, I'm going to Nibbana. <laughs> I've had enough of you. It's not that. But it embraces that. If that's what you're thinking or feeling, it'll, it allows that. Even goodbye, cruel world, belong. But you're the pure present. Be that rather than the limited condition that exists in the present. Mm-hmm.